This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Most people are surprised when they learn how much it really costs to build a house. So today we're going to turn off HGTV and talk about residential construction costs. Hi everyone, I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we're talking about residential construction costs. And hopefully within the next 45 minutes or so, we're going to shed some light on what things cost and why they cost what they cost. There are all sorts of variables that make answering this question difficult, most of which have a significant impact on the cost of the final product. I would imagine that we should talk initially about quality and quantity and the role that value plays in this conversation. That sounds like a plan. One of the things that we deal with as service providers to a residential marketplace is that we compete against design build firms. We compete against contractors that have a catalog of plans and they're building homes. And we'll have folks that contact us and say, hey, how much does it cost to build a house? And I'll say, hey, that's like buying a car by the pound. There's a lot more that goes into that question. We need to have a little chat to find out what that means. Yeah. Because I don't have a book that says, well, the Del Boca Vista plan with yeah. option D will cost you X, right? Yeah. I think the other thing is you almost compete against the internet now too, because I can pull up home plans and there's home plans that get sold on the internet and that kind of stuff as yeah, well. Absolutely. Like for your services, so to speak. Well, when we talk about quantity, if somebody comes to me and says, I want to build a house that's this large and I have a budget of $100,000, I can quickly go, well, I don't know how you're going to do that. Good luck. I mean, it makes it sound like I hang up on them in like five seconds, which I don't. I'll say, okay. It's seven seconds. We should talk about that. You've got 15 seconds, go. Yeah. I'm not doing anybody any favors if I just say, yeah, great. Let me know how that turns out for you. So I, I, I do take some time to talk to those folks about, hey, this is what jumps out at me when you say that. That is, in my experience, even in the range of quantity versus quality that I have as, as a packet of data in my back pocket. Seems unlikely that you're going to have success or get what you want with your budget where it's currently. Yeah, located. with those numbers that you've got in mind, sure. And I have those conversations too, because there are actually people that contact me for residential work. Yeah. But I just typically don't do it because the people that contact my office are those kind of folks where they're like, I want to do something for $50 a square foot. Yeah, they're, just kind of, they're kind of fishing. Yeah. And it could be that they're going through the list of residential architects and they're not getting the answer that they want. Yeah. So they just go to the next name until somebody goes... Sure, I'll do that for you. Yeah. Which is a dangerous course of action to take, regardless of what the topic may be. You know, there's that Ruskin rule of business, which means you can't ever pay less for something of value that you want that just generally doesn't work out for you. Yeah, right. You can overpay and get something that you want, but rarely can you underpay and get something that you you want. want. Yeah. So let's talk about hard costs versus soft costs. Because if someone's putting together a budget for how much they should plan to prepare to save in order to build their dream house, we need to identify this. A lot of people don't really understand what they need to plan for in a budget standpoint. What all that budget includes. Right. So hard costs, let's start there. Hard costs are physical assets that you need to acquire to complete your construction project. That sounds like a lawyer's definition. (laughs) Most definitely. So let's simplify it. Let's give some examples. So site utilities to the site, if it's not currently located, you know, if you're in an unincorporated area of town or if you're on a street that doesn't have water, gas, and power to it. Or if you're out on the lake. Or out on a lake. Whatever, yeah. Or in the desert. Yeah. 
or on the moon. Sure. That one gets costly. Utilities up there are a beast. You got to go, got to go solar. Yeah, I've heard. (laughs) Site preparation is part of that, which is things like clearing away trees, stabilizing the soil, cutting and filling to grade the site, things along that nature. There's demolition. If there's currently any structures on your lot, Mm -hmm. you know, because if there is and you're keeping it, it's a renovation project. Yes. It's a different conversation, has different things that we would be talking about. Yeah, but we're not talking numbers. about that. Yes. We're talking about ground up all new, new construction. Yes. Actual construction costs, including things like foundation, framing, electrical, mechanical, plumbing, interior finishes, exterior finishes, lighting, cabinetry, appliances, plumbing vessels. I can go all on the stuff, yeah. for about a everything half hour. in a house. Everything that makes your house well not furniture. Well, yes. Not furniture. Things that if you can imagine that the general contractor would actually build it, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, in, well, in things you category. don't bring with you, essentially. That's a good way to put it. Construction management fees and site superintendent fees. In my area of the world, which is Dallas, Texas, these range in the 10% on the low end to 20% on the high end. And one of the things that really kind of pivots that percentage more one way versus the other is if there's a full-time dedicated site superintendent associated with the project. Somebody at your house, the whole time it's being built. All day. That's, day. They're dedicated to only you. I've written a post on you know the most important budget line item on a, on a residential project is the one that pays for a full-time site superintendent. Mm-hmm. It's a great article. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Most of my projects, I've been very lucky, have full-time superintendents on them. And I can tell you, their value cannot be measured. Well, I guess it can dollars, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know how much you're paying for it. Yeah. They have a different kind of ownership for the entire project. So like I'll tell people that I know my project pretty well cause I designed them and I oversee the team that actually draws them. But the site superintendent knows my projects better than I do. At least, while, you, at least he should. Or he should. If he's a good one. Yeah. Because you know how many jobs he's running right now? Yeah. One, one. I'm running like 20. Hmm. So I'm pretty good, but I I don't have that kind of singular focus of attention to that one project. So their responsibility on the project is to oversee everybody's scope of work and to coordinate what this guy's doing on day five with what the guy's going to be doing on day 200. Mm -hmm. He's supposed to be looking ahead down the road to say, hey, when we run our air conditioning through here, I need to have a hole in my grade beam in order for that to allow to happen. And if somebody's not paying attention to it, guess what happens? You're cutting it out later and you're messing cutting it up out a whole later. lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah, so that's a bad deal. And then we have sales tax. Uncle Sam's got to get his piece. And then hardscape, things like sidewalks, driveways, patios, pools, things of that nature. Soft costs, which are kind of the things where, where we live, are, are items that are expensed to the project that are not considered direct construction costs. So architectural fees, which you know, can be generated in a, a myriad of different manners. And we discussed some of those, some of the more popular options in podcast episode 19, aptly titled Architectural Fees. Yeah. But for our purposes today, I'm going to just use percentage of construction. So I know that in the Dallas, greater Dallas Metroplex, you can get drawings ranging from 6% all the way up to about 20%. My office, we fall in the middle. Yeah, I would almost say, I bet you could get less than six, maybe. Well, not for people who do what I do, which is full service. If you're, if you're hiring a full service architectural firm, yeah, okay. 6% is the lowest I've seen. And even then I could probably, 
I would feel comfortable arguing that they're not full service. Yeah, that's what I'm, that would be what I would get at. Yeah, it's not full service providers, but you could get something builder set. Like yeah. you could get a builder set, the mer- the bare minimum set of drawings that somebody could use to get a permit to build your project mm-hmm. for five pages and probably low four figures. Yeah. But then we have all the consultant fees that also go along with doing a lot of residential projects, things like structural engineers, which for our budgeting purposes, we generally put them in the one to 3% range, depending on how complicated the house might be. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have interior designers. We work with interior designers occasionally. It's not a foregone conclusion that every single one of our projects will have one. And they're, they're, you know, interior designers, they charge wildly different from one another. Yeah, I bet. I actually wrote a post. It's the only post that I took off my site because I just I couldn't be bothered anymore. Because, <laughs> and it was it was meant in the greatest. It was like, hey, architects, interior designers, can we all not just got get along? Yeah, that's amazing. It's it's worse than the hippie post. That's a it's worse than the hippie post. Something. Yeah, because every now and then somebody will get a wild hair, and they're really mad because one of the things that I point out, and I worked in an interior design's office, so. They would say, that's not true. And I'd say, yeah, it is. I was there. I did it. You're like, yeah, I, I worked mean, there. I mean, I, I'm, this is not me guessing. Yeah. This, is, this is exactly the way that this worked. The thing that where interior designers are concerned and great ones are worth their weight in gold. I love a great interior designer. There's no question. They make my project a lot better. So I'm not here to talk negatively about mm-hmm. them. But you're going to pay hourly for most interior designers in my part of the world. And you're probably going to end up paying some sort of purchasing fee for them to act as the buyer for the things that they design for you. So let's say, for instance, they're going to get you say, I want this couch. They'll say, okay, well, you're paying them the hourly fee to shop with you. But then they'll actually put the order in to get the couch and coordinate. Is it two cushion or three cushion? Or is it this fabric or that fabric? And they're going to end up buying that couch and then selling it back to you. And they're going to mark it up. Mm -hmm. So you're paying a design fee. And you're paying a purchasing agent fee, which uh, I, don't, I don't really love that. It seems a little like dib- double dipping for me, but they do have some exposure. I will concede that they do have some exposure when they act as the purchasing agent. So they should be compensated for that exposure. Yeah. I don't work with them very often. So I'm familiar with that whole territory. It's a slippery slope. All right. Energy reviews. So in Dallas, we actually are required to have third party energy reviews as part of our drawing package when we submit to the city. It's normally a fixed fee and the fees they kind of have, they're kind of siloed normally based on the size or the square footage of the house. My experience is they range between about $500 and $1,500. Landscape architects are sometimes used. And I would say that their price structure is very similar to that of most architectural firms, just at a, at a lower rate. They're going to do a percentage of whatever they're designing to have it installed construction cost of the landscape, but the percentages aren't as high. And there are different types of landscape architecture firms. Some of them do the design and documentation only, only. and that goes to an installer to actually buy it and put in place. And they do CA just like an architect would on mm-hmm. the project. But then there are some firms that they do the design and the installation. Mm-hmm. The way that works is kind of parallel to what the interior design nerds that we just talked about, the yeah. way they kind of do it. You're paying a, maybe a little bit less for the hourly rate or the quality of the documentation because they're the ones that are actually doing the work. And the argument might be, I don't need to detail it to 100% because I'm the guy that's putting it in and I know what it's supposed and to be. And I know be. what it's supposed to be, yeah. I don't have a good range for them. Sometimes it's just a couple of percentage points of yeah. the whole. 
but that really depends on like how spectacular the landscape you want for your project. If you've got a pool and retaining walls and all kinds of stuff like that, it's going to be more. Yeah, and you want an alley of vegetable trees and gardens and yeah. well, I don't know about vegetable. I trees. was wondering about vegetable trees, but okay. Sure. <laughs> I was thinking vegetable gardens, and giant fruit, carrot fruit trees. trees. Yeah, I know. I love carrot trees. There's legal fees sometimes if they're necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, if the piece of dirt isn't zoned properly or zoning specialist for that matter. Sometimes we might say, hey, the back part of your lot is going through the FEMA map that currently shows us in the floodplain. And you can work with the zoning specialist to mitigate that in some ways. So the city might require you to mitigate it in some ways. Yeah. Those kind of wrap up the vast majority of soft costs. So where are you putting permitting fees and all that kind of stuff? I put that in the hard cost. With construct as part of the construction as cost? As part of the actual construction cost. Okay. I mean, I guess in some ways you could argue that that's actually a soft cost. Yeah, I think it just depends. That's why I was curious. I mean, I think it could go either way and it depends what it is. Because if it's just the construction permit versus, like you say, replatting permits or rezoning, that kind of work, that's a little bit of a different animal. And actually most of that comes before you ever start construction. Yeah, that is Possibly true. Possibly before you even start design. Right? That is I mean, true. So. So those are all the things that we would tell prospective future home owners who are looking to design a house that we've now defined the bucket that we need to figure out how much money needs to go in that bucket. This is the breadth of all that's involved. That's right. Which I think maybe not all homeowners realize when they start thinking about it. They might just think, oh, slap a couple walls up and a roof and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. That's not true. They probably realize. No. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, involved. but there's a whole lot of other things. I think the soft cost one is the one that gets the most misunderstood in that whole process. Well, I think people realize, hey, my house is going to cost some money to build. And they just think of that. They don't think about the paying the people that are involved with actually get either getting it to the point where they can be built or that come along with the journey while it's being built. So let's talk a little bit about custom builds versus contractor builds. Because that's something that when people go online and they do their research and they're typing stuff into Google trying to do some research. There's a big difference between a homeowner going to a contractor and buying a plan out of a book and they own the lot. And they're like, well, if you want this lot, you got to hire me to build your house. Mm -hmm. And here's the houses that I build. There's a lot of them. Pick one that you like. We have an in-house architectural department that can make modifications to suit your needs. We have these lovely five bricks that you can choose from. You can choose what type of roof you want, if you want a tile roof, or if you want an asphalt roof, or if you want a metal roof. It's almost a buffet at that point, in a way. That's right. You can go through all, you can go through all those different options, and it will almost always still cost less than if you got a product with the same sort of boxes checked if you went to an architectural firm. Yeah. And their gut reaction, people listening should go, well, then you just told us, why would we ever want to hire an architect? <laughs> Well, there's lots of reasons why those are big differences because in my projects, I specify a quality level that some people may not ever know about or appreciate or be able to put a dollar sign to. Like, let's say, for instance, on my houses, all the studs are at 16 inches on center. The number of builder homes that I see where the studs are 24 inches on center, growing. There's a lot more yeah, that's showing sure. up that way. The, the standard of, of care that I put into my, my waterproofing to make sure that houses don't leak is drastically higher than a non-custom builder home product. Mm -hmm. Another example might be the electrical service. You know, I'm going to put 400 amp service minimum in one of my projects, and you might only be getting 200 amp service in a house where somebody's not saying, 
this will give you room to grow. And if you want to change something or if you ever want to do that addition or whatever the case may be, yeah, we're planning for some of these things ahead of time. I do want a new house where the breaker blows all the time. Or it leaks like crazy. Because here's the other thing. Contractors are only obligated for warranty items for a year after you take possession of the house. Yeah. I'm on the hook for screwing something up for technically 11 years. Right. So I don't want people coming back to me and saying, well, this was a bad idea. This didn't work out. And now it's falling apart. So I'm motivated to make sure that I don't just put the money in the lobby as it were. Yeah. Well, then I will say the the one thing about that, that time period differs from state to state for how long an architect is on the hook for a project. Okay. I don't, I don't know. It's what 10 years is. in the state of Texas, which you got 11, here. but other states it's five years or seven years, but it's always, it's always longer than the contractor who builds the project, yes. which is typically one year. Typically one year. So my motivations to make a quality product by default are going to be higher than most general contractors that are doing what I would say, build the suit. They're not custom products, mm-hmm. but it, it's going to impact the cost in a, in a, fairly substantial way. It's not going to make it twice as expensive, but it's probably going to make it on the order of magnitude of like 10, 15% higher possibly. Mm-hmm. Like they might say, well, we're just going to do a post-tension slab on grade foundation system because that's going to be fine. That's going to work great for a year. Yeah. But then after a year, you know, boy, that was a rough summer and everything's moving and now my doors are sticking and my walls are cracking and you're having to call yuckety yuckety yuck to come in and put some additional piers underneath your slab along the perimeter because your garage is dropping two inches. Yeah. That's not on them. And I might say, hey, you know what? Given the fact that one of the fees that we put in here is let's get a geotech report made. Let's see what the soil's actually doing. And let's go with a pier and beam foundation so we don't have the deal with the elasticity of the dirt that we're building this house on. Yeah. That's not going to cause ongoing problems in years one through the rest of the life of the house. Exactly. Right. So we do things that look a little further downhill than some general contractors. That's not to say all of them, but our motivations are just different. Yeah, I think it's some of those, and again, this is nothing against that market. Some of that becomes a, for those folks, it's a volume game, right? I've got to build 10 houses or 20 houses this year so that I can make the money that I need to make because I've got 30 lots in this new development. If I I don't build 10 houses on those some of those 30 lots that I'm in the hole. Yeah, bank's going to come take them back. So, I mean, there's a whole lot of that involved, I think, with it as well. Life of an Architect will be back in just a moment. So, Bob, you know how you get like 8 million emails a day? I do, of course. I would say most of them are spam, particularly all the ones I get from the Nigerian princes who need me to help them. Exactly. I'll tell you the one that I always open, no matter what, and those are the ones I get from BDNC. My favorite one that they send out is called the Daily Five. It's an email that gives me a quick review of the five hottest topics of the day from BDNC. And that's not just architecture with a capital A, but the entire AEC industry. Honestly, one of the select emails that I read every day. Well, that makes total sense because for more than 60 years, building design and construction has been a trusted source for trends and news top projects, and educational content for people like us, architects, engineers, contractors, and building developer owner type folks. So the full spectrum of the building construction process is represented in this one magazine that goes out that includes all that content, which I love. So BDNC's print, digital, video, social, and in-person programs reach more than, I think it's around 150,000 AEC professionals across North America. That's a lot. It is a lot. 
The other thing that they do is they have some annual events that they hold. Yeah. Besides being at every event that you want to go to, KBiz and AIA National and all those AEC industry events, they have a few of their own that they've created. And they've got one coming up pretty soon in New York City. It's called Accelerate AEC Innovation Conference. And it's a two-day conference that's geared towards the cutting edge of the industry. And it's set up like a series of short presentations. I would say like TED Talks, but maybe like longer. Yeah. About current trends in technology and business innovation that are driving the AEC industry. All about forward-thinking people and how these changes are affecting the built environment. When's that happening? May 13th and 14th in New York City which is a really cool time to be in New York City in the spring before it gets too hot, right? Because <laughs> you know what? New York is the worst when it's hot. So if you want to find out more about that, you can go to, that's AccelerateLiveBDC.com. That's dope. Let's take a minute, now that we've set ourselves up for getting angry emails from build-to-suit contractors. Here they come. So let's talk about setting expectations and determining a realistic budget. In my opinion, all it takes is a quick chat with an architect in your area to get a feel for what sort of budget you need to build the house that you want. I get calls like this all the time, and I'm happy to spend 15 minutes talking to someone through the costs associated with a building so that they can adequately prepare. It hasn't happened to me, but I got a little... <laughs> this is amazing, all right? So I'm going to tell you a little story. In a, an office where I previously worked, we had a client come in. And they came in, they said, I want to build a million dollar house. And this is what I want. This is how big it is. And here's all the rooms. We said, great, fantastic. We're going to kill it. And we did. Did the drawings, beautiful house, sent it out for bids, came back in right on budget, right? So everyone, high fives all around, <laughs> right? We nailed it. Well, the owner came back and said, yeah, you know, I'm thinking I actually want to do it for about $800,000. And we're like, okay, things change. Maybe we'll work with it. Maybe you didn't get the bonus that they thought they were going to get. Maybe there's a couple other things. Just life happens, right? So we asked the question, what are we going to change? We did everything that you asked. You know, we guided you down this path. We hit the budget you identified. And now you want it to cost 20% less. So where are we taking that 20% from? He's like, oh, no, no, no. I, I don't want to change anything. I just want it to cost 20% less. <laughs> and we're like, well, it doesn't really, it doesn't really work that yeah, way. How's that going to work? Well, they asked us, they said, will you cut your fees? <laughs> <laughs> and the partner at the time, they said, no, we're not subsidizing your dream house. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? Yeah. It's not really fair to us because we did what we said we were going to do. Yeah. We did what you asked us to do and we agreed to the terms and this is what we've done. Yeah. So we started this process for a while of, okay, well, let's just ask another contractor. Maybe we can get a better price if we ask another contractor. And we went down this road for a while, mm. which I can tell you I'm really against because I don't like wasting contractors time. Yeah. I mean, we got it bid by a couple contracts and it was all coming back at around the same cost. And they're like, well, let's just ask somebody else. Well, the only way that the cost is going to start to come down is if somebody's like cutting corners or the quantity is not what it needs to be. Or they're like, hey, instead of using this line of window, we're going to use this line of window. Yeah. We're going to cut the quality just a little bit. Yeah. yeah we, I know that they showed it as being eight feet tall, but we can save money if we make it six foot four. Yeah. It, it makes our head explode. So eventually we kind of backed away from that process because we're like, I don't know what you want us to do. It's not coming in at the numbers that you want because that's not how this works. Yeah. So he said, all right, can I have a set of drawings? You know, can I have this set of drawings? This is a half size set of drawings. Can I have this? And, and I'll go talk to contractors and see what I can't work out. So eventually he found a contractor, gave him his half size set of drawings, came back and said, 
we'll do it for $700,000. We're like, what? A 30% drop? How does that actually happen? Hmm. So in doing our due diligence, we're having conversations with this contractor. And it turns out he was scaling off our drawings to do his takeoffs. And it was a half size set. (laughs) So he's like, well, you have 17 (laughs) square feet of tile in your master bathroom. (laughs) We're like, like, uh, like, no, we don't. No, it's 34. We're like, yeah. Yeah. And so the thing that really, he was actually more expensive than everybody else. Because we're like, obviously the walls aren't, these rooms aren't four feet tall. Yeah. I mean, oh gosh. And he's like, (laughs) and the argument was, hey, you said it's eighth inch scale. We're like, it is eighth inch scale on a full size drawing. Yeah. This is a half size set. So it still says that it's an eighth inch scale because it's just a smaller reproduction of the drawings. That seems like red flags right there already. Yeah. I was like this. I mean, I've never seen anybody make that mistake. I thought I was going to die. I started (laughs) laughing. So hard. I was like, that is yeah. really like one of the worst things I've ever heard yeah, in my life. Yeah, it's, it's something. Let's talk about something a little more tangible, because I think this is really what people who are listening, this is really what they want to know. Let's cover things like what you get and for how much. And let me preface that by saying, if you live in the central Texas area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these costs are not comparative. Yeah, they don't work everywhere. No. And I talk a little bit about costs and how they scale up or down in different areas and why that might be true. But for now, I don't know how much everything's going to cost for some house that doesn't exist in some area of the country that I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. All, I mean, everything is such a variable, right? It it's just, a lot of variables. But in other words, if whatever we're about to talk about, if you can figure out what that one of those is for your area, the others should still sort of extrapolate can, the same. That's yeah. right. You yeah. can kind of scale it up or down. It at least yeah. tells you these things exist and if in your mind you're thinking, oh, I thought foundations were only like $8 a foot, and I heard on that podcast that they're $80 a foot, it at least sends up a flag for maybe you to reevaluate where you're at with your budget. They're not $80 a foot. They're not $80 a foot. If they are, it's a crazy. Well, we did have one that was $80 a foot. It's a bomb a shelter. It was, it was big. It had a, a, a trafficable crawl space. Yeah. And, and you weren't crawling. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So normally we see anywhere from about $35 a square foot from a budget item for our foundations up to a high of around 60 for mm-hmm. like the really, really nice ones. That's too deep of a rabbit hole for where we're starting. Oh, okay. I'm going to give you rules of thumb. This is the kind of stuff that I think you can put in your pocket and walk away with when you turn your radio off. So what do you get for $200 a square foot? So this is the lowest amount that we generally can design to. It's not on purpose, but we don't seem to attract the type of clientele who are looking to design something that's below $200 a foot. But for that amount of money, that will get you a brick house, composition shingle roof, wood windows, maybe. It depends on the brand of window that you use. It might be vinyl windows. You'll end up getting OG profile galvanized gutters and a slab on grade foundation. Mm-hmm. So nothing wrong with that. It's a nice house, you know, but one of the things you'll notice that I didn't talk about in that $200 a foot is I didn't talk about like what kind of tile you got in your bathrooms or what type of kitchen package you have. Mm-hmm. You know, do you have stainless steel sub-zero wolf cove appliances? Or are you more in the Kenmore GE, yeah. GE, not monogram, but yeah. even within these numbers, there's ways for you to quickly add five, 10, $20 a square foot to these numbers just based on like two or three decisions. Mm-hmm. Like if you decide, I want to put a metal roof on my house, not a, an asphalt shingle. Yep, boom. All right, all right, you just added $12 a square foot. 
So for $250 a square foot, and this is actually where most of our projects kind of fall, which people are shocked by, but we have a ton of amazing, readily available, trained labor in our market. Yeah. So we're able to get things at a lower price point than maybe some areas of the country. I will say for around $250 a square foot, you'll get a brick house and you can get cast stone features on it. You can even have like contrasting sections of the house that might be done in stone. You will get standing seam metal paint grip roof, clad wood windows, half round paint grip gutters, and in most cases, a pier and beam foundation. Mm -hmm. Which, as I said, most of the houses that I've worked on in my career, they kind of fall in this area. And I think I've done some pretty nice houses. And you could probably even get some luxury appliances in that square footage cost number. Yeah. Now, this also kind of ties into the fact that my houses are kind of clean. I get asked to do a lot of modern style houses. So my massing and my geometry is not overly complicated. I don't have 8,000 hips and valleys and ridges on my projects. So what you're paying me in architectural fees is offsetting the construction costs because while I have a low tolerance for the quality of the construction, it's not overly complicated due to a lack of rigor in the design process. Yeah, but do you find my limited experience of even when I was trying to get a house built for myself many, many years ago, that the simpler it is, the more actually it sort of costs because it is cleaner and there's less room for people to hide errors and those kind of things. Well, what it requires is a higher degree of competency and skill from the guy building it. Yeah. So it's the idea that like even in my bedroom, you know, this is where Andrew and I are sitting in my bedroom right now uh, recording so that everyone else can run around the house and do what they want without disturbing us. And I have pitched ceiling Mm -hmm. in my room and there's crown mold all over the place. Yeah. Part of the reason that crown molding is there is not because that's like a luxury feature. It's to hide the fact that where the wall and the ceiling come together isn't straight doesn't have to be a, a nice joint. No. They, so we didn't have to pay for a premium of a skilled laborer to come in and execute a detail that required somebody to actually be good at what they do. Yeah. The drywall guy didn't have to be that great. No. And he clearly wasn't. Yeah. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like to me, there's a, and maybe that's, that's what I'm getting at is it at some level, the simplicity or lack of ornament, even in the roof pitches or in the house, sometimes lend themselves to Requiring a more skilled labor, which in turn makes it cost more than it would if you were just $200 level. Sure. But here's what that speaks to. I guess. What that speaks to is value. Yeah. Because we're talking about quantity versus quality. Mm -hmm. Like you're paying more money to get a higher quality product. But the truth is, if you can't value what you're getting for what you're paying, then why would you ever pay for it? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that when we talk to folks is, when we design their project, we try to get an idea or an understanding of what are they willing to accept? Like I can design a house and I can give it to what I would say, here's one of my A contractors. And this house with this A contractor is going to cost you 15% more than if I get a B contractor in here to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. But it won't be the same thing. It'll be the same layout. It'll have the same defined area of space, but the execution will not be the same. Yeah. For some people. That's okay. And they fall more into the, well, I want more for my smaller budget. And some people go, well, no, I don't want to have something that I look at and go, well, that's not great. And I still paid something for it. I may not have paid like top dollar for it, Mm -hmm. but I still paid for it. Like this is one of the things just as a kind of a, another way of describing it. Most of the architects that I know, 
not all of them, but most of them, even when they get older, you'll walk into rooms in their house and they've got like nothing. Like there might, you go like, there should be a chair there. And there is no chair because they don't want to buy a chair that they only kind of like. They want to wait until they have the money to buy the chair that they totally <laughs> like. Right? Yeah, for sure. And this 100%. Is, and it's a mentality that architects have because they're like, look, I'd rather wait and buy this $800 chair that is really well built and it's going to last my entire lifetime. It's an awesome piece of furniture mm-hmm. as opposed to just going down to rent a box, whatever, and getting this thing that in two years is going to be loose and rickety and squeaks when I move around in it or the back falls yeah. off or... So some architects look at it and they go, well, if I don't have the money, I'm not going to buy it on something that I know I don't want. So I just won't have it. Mm-hmm. So that same kind of mentality creeps into the construction process to a certain extent because, yes, it is more expensive to build cleanly because you don't have the things to hide poor craftsmanship. Yes. For sure. Yes. But there is a level, if I'm building 5,000 square feet of modern versus 2,000 square feet of modern, there's variables that fall within that that allow me to, as the architect, to not design things in such a way that absolutely demand that I have to have the greatest contractor in order to execute. Mm, yeah, I can see that. And that's the benefit of actually having an architect do it, I think, because we've got that knowledge to be able to make those details work that way. Just from having more in-depth conversations, we can ascertain where your values lie mm-hmm. and we can design to those values. So I might say, all right, in order for me to give them what they want and for them to be happy, I have to exist in this realm. And what that means is I'm going to bring my windows up to a spot short of where the ceiling comes in and I'll have a drop down and it'll look great. Like this is an executable detail, mm-hmm. but I'm not having to pay a premium as if I were to say, I want floor, floor to, to ceiling, ceiling glass. Yeah. And I have to, I have to do my header above the window in such a way that's going to make that a premium feature and require a highly skilled framer to execute. All right. I think where we left off was in the $350 per square foot projects which we do a number of these. But at this price point, I go, you can do just about anything practical that you can think of. And I say practical because my phrase is always importing Tibetan orphan monks to stamp gold leaf on the ceiling with their feet falls into a higher price category. <laughs> yeah, can't get that for 350 but... That's not 350 So it's, yeah, really, yeah. it's not practical yeah, for, it's for not that. Practical. But there's few materials that I would probably want to use and geometries that I would lay out that would preclude me from being able to execute those at $350 a foot. You can do, and meaning you, like you as an architect, can get away with designing almost anything that you want at that point. Yeah, I go, I would love, if someone just said, you know what, your career is going to be built on $350 square foot residential projects, I will be skipping and whistling and singing down the street (laughs) with joy. I could see that. Because it's, it's not I would be too. It's yeah, not hard. do that. <laughs> I go, it's not hard. It takes, a little, it, it takes some skill. It takes some rigor. Yeah. And you literally can't do anything you want. But that's why I put the caveat, anything practical. If somebody says, well, I want a 20-foot cantilever. All right. We're going to have to pay extra for this a little bit. So maybe we can reevaluate our bucket of money and step something down over here so we can step this part up yeah. over here to get you what you want. Yeah. So at $350 a square foot, Again, we're back in the stone or brick house. We can do masonry stucco on CMU block, which means I'm not doing wood framing. Mm -hmm. And I don't have the kind of expansion contraction joints that I have to put everywhere. So this is a pretty high level of construction, stucco on CMU block. Standing seam, metal paint grip, or tile roof. I'd say high-end clad wood windows, half-round copper gutters, and a pier and beam foundation. Mm -hmm. Now I can tell you, 
I have one project in my life where I've used copper gutters. So I'm kind of, <laughs> I was looking at this. I was like, why did I write that down? But, but you could do it. Because it's why. Because, because yeah. I could do it. Yeah. I think the other thing that's interesting to me, I guess, is in this context though, the peer and beam foundation may not be best depending upon where you're at in the world. That is true. I mean, I get a lot of basements. Yeah. I mean, it's like you're using it as a, as a measuring stick, but I think it's, it depends on where you're at. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, and that's something that we, we really should talk about. I've kind of left it off my list because down here in the South doing basements, unless it's a tornado shelter. Yes. No, it doesn't happen. Nobody. Yeah. Cause I'm going to hit rock in a couple of feet. Yeah. Or it's going to flood all the time. <laughs> or it's going to flood. Yeah. yeah. So there's reasons why we don't do it, but I would, I would probably say, cause the cabin project we did up North in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. that had a basement in it Yeah, and it was fully built out. And that's kind of a caveat that should exist in people's heads. Because the number of people that I, and which is not a lot, that I know that have basements, part of the conversation, well, is it built out or is it not? And when we talk about square footage costs, which we'll kind of define what that really means in a minute, but you know, you could say $200 a square foot, but if you're adding in 800 square feet of unfinished basement to that number, you're diluting it. It's not a real number. Yeah. There's some considerations that go into it. Now the cabin, that was a fully built out basement space. So it fell into the same kind of parameters that we had defined from, for everything else, from a budget right. standpoint, because yeah, yeah. it was just the fact it was in the basement didn't mean anything. And since it was a, in a glacial area, the foundation, I mean, it was sand. I mean, it looked like litter box. Mm-hmm. I was amazed that you pour a gallon of water. It's gone in like two seconds. <laughs> I mean, it was a lot different. So them just digging the hole, putting the formwork in place. We did not pay a premium yeah. to build that basement. Hmm. Not to the same level that we would build like a pier beam foundation here as a premium. I'd also say that this is in the realm to where I don't have any limits on high-end appliances or designer plumbing vessels or extremely custom fabricated pieces like steel framed entry doors, specialty feature lighting, exposed floating staircases. These are when you really get to start having fun. As a designer. As a designer and doing something that makes people go, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. That's not in the 250 range, but I can do that at at the 350 in my neighborhood. Not mean not my neighborhood where I live, but but in my my region where I work. Yeah. yeah, In my region. And then I'll say kind of the last category. And I have it here as $425 a square foot and up. Right. So this is $425. And everything. And everything above. (laughs) So this is the bring on the monks and the artisans from around the world. (laughs) At $425 a square foot, the exterior can be completely clad in four inch thick Hadrian limestone panels with CMU block substrate. Nice. Yeah. A true slate roof, whole house integrated art and audio visual controls, custom steel windows, Specialty energy features like geothermal, handmade tiles. You know, and the truth is, is so whenever I hear someone go, oh, this house costs $1,200 a square foot, I go, oh my God, what'd they do? Yeah. Everything was made by hand on site. Yeah. Fabricated specially for just this house. Yeah. And we brought in the tile guys from Italy. Italy. Yeah. To do the pool. I mean, you can get up into some crazy numbers, but I... It's hard. It's yeah, hard that seems for me. unfathomable to it's me. It's hard for me to hit those kind of numbers that without really going bonkers. Yeah. I would say as, a, as rules of thumb, the numbers per square foot numbers we gave, they're okay to use. But what we just went through in terms of dollar per square foot cost for construction, 
These are typically pretty good to use, and you can probably extrapolate them in their entirety up or down based on the area of the country where you live. But there are nuances that need to be taken into consideration when applying any rule of thumb where costs are involved. So complications associated with the site is one. If I build on a relatively flat lot versus I build on one that drops 60 feet from front to back, yeah, it's going to complicate it. Or one that's dirt versus one that's all rock. Is it a union state? Yeah. Is a big difference. Is it in an urban area versus a rural area? And each one of those sort of have their own limitations or caveats because sometimes it's hard to get something in a rural area just to get it there. Too right. And it's also sometimes, even though it's really available, it's hard to get in an urban area to like install it. We got to shut the street down and we got to do all these sort of things to build. For sure. Like I'm having to pay to bring something there and then guess what? I don't have the labor there that has any kind of knowledge with installing this product. Yeah. That was actually a problem we had in the cabin. I'm sure. When we did our metal siding, we had to bring a guy up that was like a four-hour drive away. That's the remote part of it, right? And we had to pay for hotels for Mm -hmm. those guys. It added costs. Now, of course, it's in a rural area, so the hotel costs were like $32 a night. (laughs) It wasn't a huge additional cost to the project, but it was a consideration that we wouldn't have had, say, if we'd built that, that exact same house would have cost, shockingly to me, Since that house was built in an area of the country to where costs are not as high as they are where I typically practice, I was fully prepared for us to get like a great deal, super bargain on this project. Yeah, yeah. When it was all said and done, I could have built that house for cheaper in Dallas than I paid for it to get built. Up there. Where it got built. I'm sure. Like I say, there's the remoteness factor. So That figured into it and bringing in the right people to do the job. Having to do things more than once because their level of okay is was not our level of okay. Yeah. You know, we had our challenges with that job for sure. And I think that's true. Remote or completely like super urban, I guess is what I was getting at. Yeah. No room to eat where you're going to lay down construction materials because you can't because it's so tight. That's right. I don't have any experience with the super urban locations. You know, people in New York clearly would. Yeah, I'm sure. Now, I will say that there has been, I'd say over the last 10 years, so I did a little research on the internet, a lot actually. And one of the things that, uh, that we're dealing with is that stuff's just costing more. And the reality is, is it's not so much the materials costing more, is that the skilled labor has been going up in some areas of the country drastically mm-hmm. in the last, say, 10 years. So one of the charts that I found that I just kind of looked at and skimmed through real quick, as an example, in the last 10 years, the cost for skilled labor has gone up about 12% in Dallas which is not great, but it's not like New York, which has gone up almost 30% for skilled labor over the cost of materials. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they're both rising, but... They're both rising, but skilled labor rates are rising... Faster. 12% faster than material Material costs in Dallas and 30% faster than the same material rates in New York. And typically, the way that always works out, labor is always more than materials when you're building something, Just about, yeah, almost always. I think we should also point out and this falls into it every now and then. We, well, we always have to walk people through it. But what it really means when somebody says things cost a certain dollar amount per square foot, this is for total construction costs, which typically includes things like the contractor's fees and permits and some of the, some of the building-related soft costs that we identified at the beginning of the show. But we only use the amount of air-conditioned square footage on the project. For example, if you have a house with 2,000 square feet of air-conditioned space, with an additional 400 square feet of garage and say 250 square feet of covered exterior patio, we still use 2,000 square feet times 
200 dollars a square foot sure right or whatever or 250 yes for a construction cost estimate of four hundred thousand dollars yeah okay the next part is where experience kicks in because when do you start including exterior spaces and garages so historically the cost per square foot would take these non-air conditioned spaces into consideration and they are generally built into the overall cost but now that garages are getting bigger and exterior living spaces are becoming more developed, include more bells and whistles. Yeah, there's kitchens out there now and all that kind of stuff. So they need some additional consideration. And that's where someone like me, I know this. I know it takes in. So I know if I have X type of exterior footage, do I need to put some additional money from a budgeting standpoint into it as opposed to like if it's just covered patio space or do we have a seating area and a fireplace out there or is there an exterior kitchen that's involved? Mm-hmm. So we might throw additional funding in there anywhere ranging from, say, $40 a square foot up to a high of about $100 a square foot. That's just to kind of make sure that we don't have any massive holes when the budget for the project comes in from the contractor. So I would say we've gone through what you get and how much it costs for what you get. We've talked about how you can build your budget and what hard and soft costs that you need to take into consideration when building that budget. Yeah, all the things you got to think about. And why your budget for a design build project, like if you hire an architect and then a contractor to build it, why that might be different than if you go to a spec home builder and buy a product and do a semi-custom, like we'll put plan C on the master bedroom wing and that kind of thing. Why that might not cost the same amount per square foot as if a traditional architect contractor process was involved. Sure. And why that is and why it makes a difference in if your value system had you identify, does that matter? Does that not matter to you? I think that this is generally kind of the bullet points that I've run through when I wrote up the run note for the sheet. These are kind of the topics and kind of the high points of what I hit when somebody calls the office and says, hey, I want to do a house and my budget's X and I want it to be 8 billion square feet. Is that going to work? Yeah. This is what we go through. So. I think that I've given, at least I feel fairly confident, that I've given people enough to think about to where there shouldn't be any surprises. On the podcast or just in general, in the phone conversations that you have? Is that what you mean? Both. Both. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's kind of the same thing. The topics we covered today when I put the worksheet together. To me, the part that maybe you didn't hit on enough, and maybe that's just me because I want to talk about how much better it would be for you to hire an architect to do it, is that there's a level of distinct customization. Not just moving bedroom C to take it off sure. of that plan and, oh, you want this color paint and you can use this tile, but that there's a consideration of we're making this specifically for you. So we're going to talk about what you do and how you like to live your life and all those kind of things. It's a little bit different level of service. And I'm not sure that I would put it in this episode, the idea of what you get when you hire an architect. Yeah. Because there's a level of rigor that goes into our process that says, well, I'm not going to design more house than you need. Mm-hmm. So just because you say, I want 5,000 square feet and we go through all the programming and I put it together and through my amazing talents, we <laughs> end up doing a 4,300 square foot house. Great. 5,000 is a random number. Yeah. You know, we've talked before about how a lot of people, when they figure out what size house they want, normally they're on the low side because they just kind of go, well, here are my rooms. And they kind of add a 200 square foot for the master. And they forget about wall thickness and hallways and corridors and circulation. Yeah. So that number tends to go up a little bit. But at the same time, we're not designing rooms or spaces any bigger than they need to be. And there's Mm -hmm. there's some benefits to us working through the programming in such a way to where you get exactly what you want. 
and you don't get anything you don't want. So we're going to move on to what we're going to call This Week in My Office. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So we've decided to add a new segment to the show. Very excited about it. Woo-hoo. Since we apparently don't have much spare time, that segment has been largely ignored, although I still like it and we aren't getting rid of it. And while we haven't received any negative feedback on the hypothetical segment of the show, I love them. Yeah, they're awesome. Because they're awesome. Yeah, because everybody loves them. But we have received some feedback that requested we focus a little bit more on the day-to-day workings of our office. After all, this is the life of an architect podcast, and there is some work-life banter that we have largely been ignoring. And I'm going to admit that this has been somewhat by design, at least on my part. The podcast is not intended to be a serial, even though for some people, what comes out, they listen to it. They are listening to it in order that we're releasing them. But we have come up with our topics in such a way to where you can listen to them in any order that you see fit. So I don't want to have the This Week in My Office be something that requires you to listen to these episodes in sequence so that you can go, oh my gosh, what happened to that project? Last time I listened, they were topping it out. And now it says that, you know, because you listen to them out of order. Yes. Right. So we're going to try to avoid that. So here we go. This week in my office, take it away. So this week or weeks in my office, we've been dealing with some deadlines, which means it's a little bit frantic and things are happening. Details are coming up quickly and changing. I spent most of my week working on specifications which my final document was 842 pages of specifications for I a saw project. That. On your Instagram feed, you had like 800 monitors going too. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough. I don't necessarily like doing specifications. And I had a lot of people like, why don't you pay somebody else to do that? But I also, I'm kind of OCD about wanting Your to, specs are good. I've seen them before. To control that kind of stuff. So I think that that's part of it. And that was most of what my week was. And then dealing with making sure the last final little details of getting this right, getting that right, and getting documents from my engineers and saying, oh, you missed this, you missed that, you got to fix it, all those kind of things to get it all put together and out the door and ready for bidding, which is what's happening next. It's a public project, so it went out for bid on Thursday of this week, and we'll see what happens. So it was an important week, but not necessarily a fun week. For sure. Not a fun week. A very tedious week, as a matter of fact. There was no design in this week whatsoever. (laughs) Didn't you pick an image for the cover of your (laughs) spec book? (laughs) No. No images on the spec book, but yeah, I know. Very tedious and long. I spent a lot of time at home at night still working on these things. What about you, my friend? Last week was awesome. (laughs) Okay. Nice. So last week, (laughs) I was about to say this week in my office, but it's actually last week in my office. Yeah. So I was out of town for two of the, actually I was sick on Monday. Oh, so you, it was awesome because you weren't even at work. It was awesome because I had 20, 20% less work time. And that's not true because, you know, the thing is, is if I'm not there, I still got to do my job. So yeah. it, it just kind of, like, I haven't had a weekend. This whole weekend has been work related for me and, yeah. I, and I haven't loved it. So I was out sick on Monday, but I was still, I had like four conference calls. Oh yeah, we did have one. Yeah, you were on one of them. Yeah. Actually, I was right there laying in bed. I did not know that. Yeah, well, you know, because I'm a pro. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a couple of projects right now that are probably in the first quarter to third of the construction process, uh-huh. and we're getting hammered with submittals. Submittals and all that kind of and, stuff, yeah. Yeah, and questions, and we haven't gotten very many RFIs, but there's been a lot of like, the service provider wants us to doesn't want us to put the meters where we showed them, mm-hmm. where they want them. It's like right on the front on of the, the front building. door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, we're going through the process saying, well, we want to move them. So we're creating some of this work 
for ourselves because I could have just said, all right, it's fine, but I don't want it there. Yeah. So we're, we're picking battles <laughs> that we don't have to, but it's because it's important to us. Sure. And there's just me and one other guy working on these projects and that guy's killing himself. I mean, he's working like a dog. So shout out to Travis. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Travis. And then Thursday, I drove down to Austin because I'm on the University of Texas School of Architecture Advisory Council. We get together twice a year. Oh, really? Just twice a year? Just twice a year. Oh, all right. And I figured it was like once a quarter or something. Well, this is new to me. Oh, okay. I got, I got put on it last year, but this is the first in-person meeting that I've made. So we have the Thursday night is kind of a dinner and you get to meet everybody and talk to them and say, well, who are you? Where are you from? That kind of thing. But then we also had a chat. They had a guy in and talked about what he did. That was very illuminating. And then on, on Friday, we had our actual meeting, which lasted forever. And we're sitting in these terribly uncomfortable chairs. And of course, since it's new, they're like, okay, let's take a 10 minute break. Well, I just start talking to the guy next to me. Mm -hmm. In this case, it was, a, it was a woman. And I didn't take the break. And then we started up again. I was like, man, I really should have got up. <laughs> Of course, I sat in the very back of the room and the door to leave is right in the front where the dean is sitting. Oh, yeah. There's no way out. Man. No yeah. way out without like ever like everybody watching you walk from all the way from the back. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, I consider my activities. They extend onto my weekend. So I spent some time up at the office on Saturday. Of course, I have to write a blog post. You and I are recording podcasts. Not this one. Well, we recorded this one. No, but it's not we are the, recording this one right now. Yeah, this one's recording right now. But yeah. we have one coming out. In, in a couple of hours. No, in oh, 30 minutes. 37 minutes. Yeah. So there's a lot of buttoning up that needs to take place. So mm. it's a full week. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to call that a wrap. Thank you for being with us today for residential construction costs. If you like today's episode, you can find it in your heart. Please take the next 30 seconds and head on over to iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast so you can get fresh new episodes automatically downloaded to your podcast player of choice. And while you're there, please leave us some feedback as we'd really like to hear your thoughts on the show and, if possible, five-star, how much did you say that was going to cost rating? <laughs> if iTunes isn't your player of choice, we're also available on Google Play, TunedIn, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, and a bunch of other platforms. They're all free, and all you have to do is hit the subscribe button on your podcast listening app of choice. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this episode. Also, be sure to stick around until the very end, and we'll reward you with our version of a blooper reel. Thanks so much for tuning in. Cheers. Take it easy, everybody. Most people are surprised when they learn how much it really costs to build a home these days. So, that's what we're going to be talking about. I botched that up and tried to freeball it. <laughs> okay, here we go. Me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we didn't say take it away, Andrew. All right. Well, there's no one else in the room. Well, okay, fine. As <laughs> wow, I swallowed. A, I was like, a what was baby that? tiger? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Your mouth was barely open. That was coming. It's gonna crawl out of you in a second. I'm scared. Well, at least it comes out the front. Also, be sure to stick around until the very end, and maybe we'll reward you with our version of a blooper reel. That was a little rough on them. Maybe we will reward you. It's hard. <laughs> That's hard to say. All right, let, let's see. Let's see if I can do it again. Is it bad for me to say my week was so boring? <laughs> it was so terrible. Well, you know, you're talking about it, and I was like, "Wow, that week sucked." Yeah, I know. I was like, "It was the worst week ever." 
No, it's not okay. You got to. No, I can't. Right. No. It's, you have to be positive. Be positive. I have to be positive about my profession. That's right. Oh. Look for it. Except for the, you look for the silver lining on that big black poop of a cloud. That's right. So, all right, here we go. Yes. <laughs> 